welcome to the comeback. Uh, on today's episode, we have Ian Slater of the Slater team at Compass. Ian is a residential real estate broker, top broker in our city, uh, extremely intelligent, extremely hands-on. Um, we had a great time, you know, with Ian today. You know, what, what I think I find intriguing about Ian is just the special sauce that he brings, the whole way that he tries to create his brand. So a lot of good, insightful things for brokers to really listen to and really anyone that's trying to create their own brand. Uh, with that, let's go to uh, the podcast. Okay, everybody. Uh, welcome back to uh, our podcast. Uh, today's guest is Ian Slater of the Slater team at Compass. Um, I've known Ian since he started the business uh, eight years ago, approximately. Um, and the reason we wanted Ian on, just hear his thoughts as a, you know, one of the top brokers in our city, I, I always find intriguing, you know, we work with hundreds of brokers um, and how some brokers, you know, are, you know, pave their way to success. Um, I often see, you know, the top brokers in our city are, are insanely, I, joking aside, insanely proactive, thorough, and it's, it's definitely a challenge in today's market. We all know business is booming. Um, how to kind of maintain that high level professionalism by still, you know, building business and, and you know, keeping, uh, keeping active with the market. So Ian, give us a little snapshot. I know you, uh, you're, a, you're a swimmer, you, you do some investing in, in Rhode Island. Um, so there's a lot going on with you. Give us a, a quick 30 second snap. My so, elevator pitch of my Yes, exactly. Sure. Um, so I've been a I'm, I've been a broker for I think I'll, I'll be eight years in September. Um, I'm I always say I'm a rare primary adopter of real estate. That most brokers I meet, you know, it's their second job, it's their third job. For some reason, I decided to do it right after school. So I went to school in Rhode Island, which is what my what my tie to to Providence in Rhode Island is. And I moved to New York and became a broker right away. I worked on a great team at Element, worked there for almost four years. And then I shifted over when I was 26 and I started my own team at Compass. Um, the other half of my life is, is that I invest with my now fiance in um, real estate in Rhode Island. Basically, I picked Rhode Island because when we started when I was 23, it was the only thing we could afford. Um, so we do multifamily investment there. And now we've started to do some spec houses in Newport which is basically just because the pandemic has shifted the demand away from cities and into these like secondary beach markets. But I am 98% in New York City doing the brokerage. I now run a team of six. We have now three support staff as well. Um, and we're just continuing to grow. That's great. Um, congratulations. Thank uh, you. On your engagement, but so I guess I mean pandemic events. Yeah, so you, I mean, you listen. You deal with lots of brokers. What do you? I mean, what do you focus on? How do you, you know, um, how do you, you know, focus on building a team and really giving top service? You know, and, and what do you? I'm sure you see differences between you know where you are and and other brokers that are trying to build and maybe just don't have you know the same drive as you do. Yeah, I mean, I think there's something a bit lucky that comes with being young and not having a lot of distractions in your life when you start in this business, which creates an ability to be responsive and creates an ability to be like active and present with your clients when you're not necessarily leaving the city or you're not going home with kids. Like it's not, not that I'm disparaging that whatsoever, but I think it's simply lucky when you start pretty young. And then I think my level of knowledge of the city and, and, 
being able to start when I was when I was really young and get into it and work with buyers and renters at really any price point and remember all the buildings I saw, remember all the deals I've done, remember, you know, all the brokers I have relationships with now and just building that over time has helped me a lot too. Something I noticed during the, really what I started to focus on during the pandemic was that the majority of my clients are now in finance or they're looking at their apartment, not only as a home, they do look at it as a home, but they also look at it like anyone in New York city looks at it like an investment. So people are very curious about not just like, you know, the design features of of an apartment. A lot of my clients look at it like they want to make money on it. Right. So I started focusing really on data and sharing data um, of the market, of neighborhoods, of transactions really, really diligently. And now people come to me a lot and we're talking not just about like, you know, their comfortability and where they live and the size and location and everything, but also how they're, how we're looking at it as an asset. And like, you know, we talk about a lot of things with taxes and, and legal structuring and, and tax abatements and like, you know, when you want to sell and when you want to buy and how to most efficiently do it. All that really does is just make you appear rightfully so much more like an expert on in, in the world of real estate and really have legs in like design, finance, law, you know, and then of course doing everything you typically do as an essential concierge in someone's life when they're moving or looking for real estate or selling real estate. And that I, I think that has helped me build a very, very solid book of referrals and very loyal clientele now. It makes you stickier because you're touching the client in so many different ways. This is a question that, that that's a huge difference to me though. Probably the number one attribute that I look at in successful brokers is problem solving. We find so many people, even in our, our space on the legal side or on the brokerage side that just get frustrated so quick. There's no more square peg in the square hole. Talk a little bit granularly about what makes you so strong in that particular area. I think that's kind of what sets you apart a little bit about not getting frustrated, being able to solve the problem, go from A to B. I was, uh, I, I was born with like a, a personality trait that I found has been very, very helpful in this business, which is just an incredible sense of calm, right? I don't really get excited about, about much, like about success. Of course, that's what we're all chasing, but I, I always kind of think about what the next level is or how I can do things better. That's just inherently how I was, how I was built. It was the same way in sports and swimming and school and everything. Um, so people get very, very, very emotional in real estate, like incredibly so sometimes. And um, they get, they tend to get frustrated about surprising things. And I have a very rational mindset when it comes to looking at things. And I can really calmly explain to people why they're being irrational. I could do it when my family was fighting. I could do it when I was the captain of the swim team. Like I could do it in every situation. And, um, you just have to realize that at the end of the day, many brokers have incredibly large egos, but we are really just buying and selling real estate, right? No one is necessarily saving lives here. So we are, I, I think we have to constantly remind ourselves that there's always a solution to any problem that we have. And there's usually a pretty quick solution, right? Like we work with the best bankers, movers, attorneys, designers, contractors, like everyone knows what they're doing. And the, it's a big thing. Like when you, when you build your, your like group of people who are going to be in a transaction, which is a huge mountain of people beneath me, you have to make sure you're working with the best in every field. And those people you can rely on if you have the right ones to solve any issue. 
You just have to be diligent about it. No doubt, Ian. We're not, you know what? We're not reinventing the wheel. Whatever issues we face, others have faced before. So if your sphere, your infrastructure has experience, it's usually there's a solution, I always say, to every every conflict. Correct. 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 is caring, right? You can't teach, you know, desire and you know the the you know the 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 wherewithal to want to be involved and want to help and want to, you know, really I think listening to the clients, right? And then half of the time as real estate professionals, you know, you know what the client's gonna say because you've been through it, right? But this is they haven't been through it. It's their first experience, or maybe they bought and sold a few properties, but for them, the emotional component especially these days. I mean, we've gone, you know, on a roller coaster of different emotions, right? You know, a year ago, people petrified. They're in the middle of deals. Now it's like sign, 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 you know, just sign. So well, we have to, you know, make sure you're protected. We have to, you know, <laughs> review yeah. the due diligence. So there's a lot of different, I guess like you, even, you know, in, in a normal quote unquote, normal pre COVID market, the emotional factor, the pressure factor, um, is always a, a, a key component. If you're willing to, if you're able to kind of combat that, that's, you know, a huge, huge. Yeah. I mean, success. a big thing that I've started to do is like, I call it pre-education, right? So you buying real estate in New York is, is insanely inefficient. Like it's awful actually. And if there's one thing in my, that I want to change in my career, it's like just the entire way that it's transacted but you have to educate people that there's going to be so many times throughout the process that you're so wildly frustrated at the speed of it or the efficiency of it or the cost of it or the confusion of it. And if you get ahead of all of that, which is actually quite hard to get ahead of because there are certain things that have come up during the pandemic that never really existed before. Right. And there's certain like hurdles that we have that are always changing. So you don't, I don't know if I've ever really hundred percent nailed it and telling someone exactly what the process is going to look like. But if you really are, are, are proactive about it on the buy side and sell side in the beginning, people tend to really say, oh, if they, if they were listening, like you were actually very proactive in telling us about that. And I really, I really, you know, my days from whatever, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. are largely reactive because you're kind of on defense the whole day and dealing with a whole slew of issues that come up during the day. You have to be proactive in the times that you can control it, which is like the morning and the night. And when you initially meet people so that, you know, you're not consistently dealing with those issues during the day. I think a lot of it is reasonable expectations, you know, right. and you're not being afraid, which you're good at, to have the uncomfortable conversation. Right. Yeah. So that's like the elephant in the room, you know, with that, with the client and saying, this is what we're dealing with. Listen, you can be proactive right? You can, you know, set people up and give them the options. Even today, a new conversation we're having, like it's for co-ops, the time from co-op approval to the closing table used to be about a week, you know, pre-COVID with deals right now, the market booming, we're seeing two, three weeks, it could be eventually a month. So having that conversation, you know, rate locks, you know, extra fees, they want to get it done quickly. What's in our city with co-ops and financing, there's no such thing as quick anymore, right? So there's an expectation and clients just, you know, hey, I want to get my children, you know, in school. We want, you know, we were moving to California where we're coming in. We need it done immediately, but it's not happening that way. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a remarkable inefficiency that's come about with working from home with banks and management companies mostly, right? Where where sometimes one link in the chain will just disappear and you don't necessarily know where they are. And you um and you need to be prepared that someone, you know, sometimes I don't have the answer of that of that missing link. 
no doubt. So, so what else, um, I guess, what, what are you looking forward to and like what have, what has, you know, I guess, I'm going to harp on the pandemic, but it's definitely created opportunities for, for us. And what, how have you kind of reshifted or shifted your team where you are you concentrating on different things that you weren't on before and, and what's kind of your, you know, year game plan? Like, what are you looking forward to? What are you trying to accomplish? I would be about the demographics though of the people that are doing the deals. We're seeing so much activity. Like that's a, a interesting. Where are those? What's the age? The profession? Who are the people that are doing the deals in our city now? Sure. Um, that was two different, very very different questions. <laughs> but I will answer What's real estate. <laughs> I will answer Alan's. Um, I found that you know this was like a phased restart and it had to do with the strength of the market and the discounts that people were perceiving followed by the need of people. So really, you know, we were shut down for three months um, legally and then really in practice, I would say we were shut down for like six months. And when people really started to be comfortable transacting again, the first people that came out were simply the high finance sharks who thought that they were going to steal things, right? People that, that just had cash and they wanted to come in and get these massive discounts that frankly never really existed. So that was a frustrating period. Um, there was always the people who were intelligent and, and capitalized enough that they were going to buy something at that time. That for me was like pied-a-terre purchasers, um, people moving up from rentals into sales and capitalizing on that time. But it took a lot, it really took a lot of like, you know, for lack of a better word, balls <laughs> to buy at that time. And then um, the next people that came back, I would say were people that were really born out of necessity and saw the writing on the wall that the discount still existed. So people that had to be back for work, people that really had no choice but to have their kids be in New York City. Um, you know, pe people like us that like brokers could never really do this totally virtually from another state. It just simply wasn't an option. And then now I would say there's a very good grouping of young people coming in, realizing, you know, who realize that this might be their opportunity to buy and that they've decided they want to stay in New York City. I've started to get a very interesting demographic of people who are kind of like the empty nesters that lived, but had their time in the city, left, moved to the suburbs, and have now seen the opportunity to sell their house at an insanely overpriced number that they never thought they would get, and use that opportunity to come back to the city and get you know what, what still is a discounted deal. But by and large, the people that have left have left. The people that have decided to stay have kind of decided to stay. And now there's basically a 100% understanding across the buyer pool that the market's not going down anymore, right? So that's why I think there's so much activity right now because there's at least comfortability that you're not gonna be losing money or everything's gonna fall apart again. So I don't, I don't think there's a defined demographic now of who the buyers are. I think there's still like a small percentage of people sitting on the sidelines questioning it, but largely it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's reminding me of like when I first got into the, into the business a long time ago, everyone seems to be buying. The one group that we don't have is international buyers though. Everyone's a New Yorker. Awesome. I guess Andrew's question on how you create your brand. I guess that's probably what, what that, that next question. Tell us about you, your team. What's, what's this Slater brand? 
Yeah, I thought a lot about this in the pandemic um, when we shut down because I was like, you know, you had all of a sudden all this time during the day and I moved to Rhode Island and I was, you know, you were doing virtual showings. I was, I was doing Zooms and things like that, but I was never a huge believer that real estate would be transacted over a screen. Um, I'm still not a very big believer that real estate can be transacted over a screen. I think you can do a lot with it, but I think, you know, by definition, you're in a physical space. So I spent a lot of time thinking about how my brand is interpreted. And I've always been very, very like keen on this, probably much more than other brokers. I think that people are attracted to a brand. I think that purchasers will, will, um, will chase something that they interpret as elegant or intelligent or, you know, in, within their neighborhood. So it's like, how can you create that? And this is sort of a tangent, but this is like a funny thing that I, that I picked up and sent to my team. So Madison Avenue and Madison Avenue reopened uptown. There was like a day that they rolled out a red carpet and all the stores were open and all of the stores were offering discounts. They were offering like 15, 30% discounts or giving gifts or whatever. And there was a whole list that we got. I got an email about it. Um, and Hermes was the only store that refused to give a discount. And they just said, you know, we're going to continue to offer the same level of service that our clients have come to expect. We're excited to welcome you back. Basically, we know that you like our brand so much that we don't have to offer you anything. And they've spent so much time creating like everything from colors to fonts to responsive time, responsiveness time to smell. Like there's all these things that go into how someone interprets that brand that you can apply to a real estate team or you can apply to a company. Like my company Compass has done a crazy good job creating a friendly global brand or you know, national brand now is eventually global brand totally different than any real estate company. So, you know, we are very intentional in our communication style in our, how we dress and how we, you know, how we operate on our social media, on our email blasts to the point where like, I actually have a branding person that works on my team. That's a, what she does to ensure that this is all kind of remains congruent. I think over time, it will take 20 years but over time, people people will really like come to equate what I want them to equate with my brand and my name. Well, it's it's the business of real estate, right? It's taking it, you know, I think years ago, even maybe before we were in the business, you know, you'd have this, you know, the people that just kind of knew real estate or thought they knew real estate had some connections. Now it's a higher level. There's a higher expectation and, and to compete you know, in our city, in the real estate space as a, as a broker, you need to have a brand, you need to have a business, you need to have, you know, a team um, and the wherewithal to have, you know, your hand in a few different areas to be successful and to, you know, help your clients. Yeah. And you have to be able to spread it among, among multiple people because previously the, you know, those successful brokers in the nineties and early 2000s were really one person. And then the companies really started pushing the teams and, um, and as the teams came about, you had to be able to be multiple people at once, right? And had to ensure that you weren't going to lose your touch and lose your brand. Thanks for joining us. Uh, very insightful to hear what goes on behind the scenes. Uh, wish you continued success and uh, we'll see you soon. Thank you, team. You got it. I'm sure I'll talk to you today. All right. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Bye, guys. Thanks. Right, perfect. Thank you. You can listen to The Comeback on Spotify or watch our interviews on YouTube.